You're now listening to the Self-Development Collective, a podcast in community full of inner work and self-development ideas to help us get unstuck and become the person we truly want to be. Hey guys, and welcome to Searching for Better. In this episode today, I'm going to talk about what your grief might look like in three years. And if you are someone that knows someone that's grieving, please pass this episode on. Um, Please recommend it to them. Um, Only because I know when I was at the beginning stages of grief, I wish I had um, known more about podcasts. I wish I had looked more into it Um, because I really was in a place where I had no idea how I was going to survive this. And I realized that that's a common feeling. Um, and I really had this deep, I really had this deep belief that it was never going to be okay. Um, and it felt like there was never going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And I had been in this tunnel for years and, um, it was really a difficult time. So if you know someone who, um, is recently, grieving, um, or even is a couple years in and maybe they're still struggling, um, please suggest this because I would have loved it if someone had suggested a podcast to me that was covering what someone's journey looked like a little later on and not a lot later on, obviously three years isn't much. Um, but considering, you know, you, you have someone for nearly a lot, all of your lifetime, um, or in my case with a sibling. So, please pass this on because I wish that I had listened to someone else's experience um, and found a little bit of faith, a little bit of light in my tunnel, um, which would have helped, I think, during that time to know that the pain and the fear was shared. And that's something when I've been volunteering for Grief Line and that's something I've realized recently where a lot of people have called asking um, two things. They call and they ask whether they will be okay. Um, and they also call because they're really up and down and they feel crazy. So I am going to do another podcast episode on common experiences that we have um, during grief so that people understand and we can normalize the things that happen during grief and so that we don't feel crazy and we know that other people experience this too. And that's something I've people have asked, like, did this happen to you? So I do want to do and I will do an episode on that. That'll be my next recording. But today I want to talk about what my grief looks like three years in um, to give people a little bit of um, faith, a little bit of hope, um, a little bit of perspective on what it could look like. And again, Take what resonates, leave what doesn't because the grief journey is different for everybody and I can only speak as a sibling who's lost a sibling. I can't speak for other people's experiences. Um, My brother was sick for three and a half years and I do have an episode, one of my first episodes, and I'll link that in the the description below if you want to hear more about that journey. But he was sick for three and a half years and look, it was quite traumatic Um, and I only really realized how traumatic it was when I started seeing a grief counselor and something I highly recommend for anyone's journey. Um, because she had said to me that, you know, it's quite traumatic when you're watching someone whose life is ending from an illness, he had brain cancer, who doesn't want to die. So it is traumatic to watch that because you start to realize just how little we can control. The anxiety that kicks in um, is insane. You feel like you're constantly running from this um, future that's unavoidable and something that's really common with all of us is we share this idea that we want to take away this person's pain and we we would do anything to swap positions with them um and that's definitely something i have i experienced since um other people have called on grief line with the same experiences so 
Today, I just want to focus on what your journey might look like in three years. So um, something that a metaphor that I thought of the other day that I really liked was, um, so in Italy, um, it's quite mountainous throughout their, like, their landscape. So their, um, some of their freeways are insane because you have these moments of being like going around mountains and these amazing views and these freeways that are built so high up. And then all of a sudden you're in this tunnel and it's dark and you don't know when you're going to get out. And for me, three years on, that's definitely the grief process. Um, There are times where grief has taught me perspective, um, humility. Um, I can think of my brother and appreciate um, all the experiences. I have this mindset where I don't want his, in in my experience, and again, speaking from my end because, and this is non-judgmental from anyone else's perspective because I can only speak from my journey. But for me, I didn't want all the learnings that I had from his suffering to go in vain. I really wanted to make use of everything that he had taught me um, and gifted me from this experience that neither of us got to choose. Um, So I had moments where I'd be really like, oh my God, I just see life so differently. My perspective is so different and I don't worry about things. And the view was like when you were in that section of the freeway where you could see the mountains, where you got perspective, where you felt that sort of um, higher power, that even if it's not a higher power, perhaps maybe it's just a moment where you realize just how beautiful things are despite the pain. And perhaps it is the pain that allows us to see that beauty because it gives us that perspective, something to compare it to, to understand I suppose the preciousness of life, but then you have moments where all of a sudden you're in a tunnel um, and you're back and the grief is like a 20 out of 10 and you miss that person and you wish they were here and you get flashbacks of things that have happened and moments that were really difficult for them and um, you wish with every part of your soul that they were back um, and the tunnel is dark. You don't know when you're going to get out. You don't think that you're going to have that beautiful view ever again because life is bleak. It's dark. There is no light right now. You're stuck in th- at the bottom of a or you know in a mountain, and it, that's very metaphorical too because you feel like everything's just on top of you and you're struggling. And so that's what I'd say the journey looks like: moments where I'm in the tunnel, moments where I'm uh, um, appreciating the view, appreciating the learnings. Um, appreciating my brother and his experience in the time we did have. So that's something that's something that's definitely um, a way that I would think about it three years in. Now, the first thing that I, uh, I want to say, something that happens three years in for me and still going is that I really struggle with milestones. Um, and the way I explain it is that milestones are always bittersweet because – they remind me of the moments that my brother didn't get. They're reminders that he's not here, that he doesn't get to experience this. And as a sibling, there's definitely survivor's guilt there that, you know, I'm here experiencing these things. Um, and it's a catch-22 because I recognize and appreciate the preciousness of those milestones. But then I also grieve the fact that he didn't get them, that he's not here, that we missed out on milestones together because he's not here. Um, and that's something that I find happens every milestone. Turning 30 was really challenging because he didn't get to turn 30. My brother loved his birthday, loved parties, always had so many people there. So milestones that I knew he would have loved, um, for me, I struggle with quite a bit. And I have communicated that to my loved ones, which I think is something really important if you find milestones 
challenging or you get to a point where you find that they're still challenging. Um, for me, I explain the process and I say, you know, I always have to go through the grief before I get to the happy, till I get to the humble, till I get to the, the grateful. Um, I, work, I need to work through sadness and disappointment and, and anger and frustration and re-grieve um, during milestones. And I think um, I want to mention this because some people you get, you go two ways. I feel like some people have this idea, well, you're here, so you should appreciate and be grateful and you want you to be happy. Um, and I really don't like that perspective um, because to me, it just is a denial of the natural feelings that we have when we love someone and they're not here. Um, yeah, he would want me to be happy, but uh, I also would love to have him here. And that doesn't take away from the fact that life can be tough and sad without him. So at first and foremost, it's my responsibility and it's my experience. So I acknowledge that and I allow for those feelings to come up. There's no such thing to me as, oh, I'm, I mustn't be grateful because I'm feeling sad and frustrated and angry he's not here, that he's not getting these experiences. I think it's life and love um, in its in a different form. It's wanting the best of the people we love and we will always want the best and we will always grieve for them uh, for what they didn't have because we love them. And to me, grief is just an expression of love when that person's not here in that physical place to be able to uh, for us to express that. So I don't really go with that attitude of um, I should be appreciative and not be upset. Um, and I understand that people come from a well-intentioned place, but this is just a reminder that it's your journey and your feelings. And it's really important to honor the difficult times because they catch up to you. In all honesty, my milestones, if I don't acknowledge the fact that I struggle with them first before they become something that I can be grateful for, uh, something that I can acknowledge and appreciate, then it'll just blow up in my face later. Um, those feelings don't go, they just get repressed. Um, and so I have to find a way. And what I would say is to find a self-soothing way for you to manage that. So for me, as random as it sounds, I like to go for a drive, reflect, have a bit of a cry. That's just my process. Um, and that's something that I do with milestones. I sit with them. Perhaps I talk to my counselor. Be talk to my husband. Be honest about where I'm at, and just label it. I'm struggling at the moment. I get to, I get the sad before I get the happy. That's how I explain it to people, um, especially my best friends. We go for walks, and I just explain today. This is just I'm processing, um, and that's also how I refer to it, a processing day, a day where I allow things to come up and not push myself to be grateful or happy or um, or be grateful. This is a situation that I'm in. Um, and this is a situation I'm dealing with and the feelings that have come up and I allow them. So this is something that I just want to remind you of because people can be really well-intentioned, but that doesn't mean that the advice works for you. Um, and that doesn't mean that you should suppress the experiences that you're having because everybody's grief journey is their own. Now, something that helps me during these times and milestones, times where I get really angry and the survivor's guilt just goes on overdrive. Um, and this is an, a perspective that's helped me. Um, I have to remind myself constantly, and this is something I've learned through the work I've done in self-compassion, um, that we are humans going through an experience and I didn't get to control what happened to my brother. I didn't get to control how it happened. I didn't get to control his experience, um, but I do get to control my response. And that's what I always remind myself when I'm working through that anger, grief, sadness, and moving to that happy stage. I'm not really sure if I would have if I didn't have this mindset. This mindset is what's helped me to get to that appreciative sort of gratefulness stage um, of milestones and then learn to be accept the fact that they're bittersweet. I remind myself that um, the experience was outside of my control. The only thing that I can control right now is my response. Um, 
And I often think of him and I think of, and I know I just said about people wanting to be happy, but again, this is my process of wanting him wanting me, him wanting me to be happy. But the kind of the way I think about it is, um, how would, if this was me, how would I want him to be? Um, and I would want him to appreciate moments and think of me, but then appreciate the moments because of me as in because of the experience um and so that's how I work I have to remind myself constantly especially when the guilt comes up and the guilt is natural so I'm not saying that the guilt shouldn't be there because I think every feeling has a valid point especially in grief it teaches us but when the guilt does come up I have to constantly remind myself that we are this these situations are outside of our control the only thing I can control is my response and I choose every time to first accept the fact that grief and love is the same. So I will always find milestones bittersweet. Again, that doesn't mean I don't appreciate them. It just means that I miss and love someone who's not there for them. And then I choose to appreciate and move forward um, and learn from the experience that his pain gave me. Um, And something that I always think about is, are you going to pass on your wisdom or are you going to pass on your woes? And that's something that an internal question that I remind myself of. Um, And again, this is three years in. So I do want to say when I I first had milestones, they were just shit. Like I can't can't really change that. Um, At the beginning, there was a lot of sadness and grief I had to work through before I got to this mindset of, okay, I need to remind myself that this is not a choice. I did not choose to be here without him. I did not choose for this to happen to him and he didn't choose it either. It's outside of my control and it's life. And the only thing I can do right now is to choose my response. Um, And my response is to not let his suffering be in vain, to learn, um, to constantly create a life so that when I get to the end of which, whenever my life will end, I can say that I lived it because of him and I choose every day when I can and I'm up for it to live in honor of him by appreciating the people around me and loving the milestones that I have while accepting the sadness that's there. And that's a bit of a notion where I also understand now that two conflicting emotions can exist at once. I can be really appreciative of a space I'm in, but also miss the fact that that space doesn't have him. Um, And I want to remind you of that too, because, you know, three years in, you, you love them. It's not going, for me, this is not going to change. I'm always going to Milestones are going to be bittersweet, and that's the way I explain it to people. Uh, bitter because he's not here, but sweet, sweeter because I understand what it's like to love and miss someone and to not see them in the physical. So that's something that I want to mention to you. Uh, the next thing that your grief might look like in three years is something that it looks like for me is you might not know when your triggers come up. Um, and that's something that surprised me because I just assumed that triggers, so things that caused flashbacks, made me feel really sad, brought back deep memories that I might not have thought of otherwise, um, would be really common sense. Not common sense, but I shouldn't say that. Uh, I don't like using that common sense. Um, really obvious ones. So well, driving past the hospital, um, seeing his friends. So there's triggers that I'm fully aware of, i.e. milestones. I know that that's always going to be a trigger. Um, but then there are triggers that come at you and you're not really aware and you don't really know why they're bothering you until you do some thinking around it. Um, for example, before he passed, I went to a wedding um, and it was a brother, it was a person I knew and his sister was maid of honor. Oh no, maybe not maid of honor, but in the bridal party and she did this beautiful speech about her brother um, and I cried. 
Um, I found that really challenging. I didn't think that that would trigger me. I never thought about it, but I think a part of me knew I wasn't going to get that experience. And I had to mourn those expectations, mourn those expectations for my brother too, because I knew I'd never get to see that and he'd never get to experience that. And this was like right towards the end of him, um, passing. So we, we knew that this was going to, uh, eventually happen. Um, so yeah, so your triggers, you know, might not know when they come up still, even three years in shit happens, like stuff will come up and you'll be like, Oh shit, that's a trigger. I didn't even think that would come up. And the thing that I would recommend is to just communicate it and ask for support. Um, and I'm really, uh, I think I usually 99% of the time communicate to my loved ones when I'm feeling triggered. Uh, and I, again, I go back to that processing day, that part, that this experience really triggered me, just being really upfront about it and knowing that it's okay that you will have experiences where you're triggered and you don't know or you didn't expect it. Um, another really interesting one and something that I loved um, reading, there's a really good uh, group called um, Good Morning. So morning is in like someone's morning someone, um, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, <laughs> that's right. Uh, it's a really good um, uh, Instagram to follow. So they obviously are about grief. Um and it was really interesting. She posted, uh, I don't know if you've seen, if any of you have seen Sex in the City, the new um, reboot, um, just like that. The first episode, sorry, spoiler alert, just to let you know. The f- so if you don't want to know what happens, probably just like fast forward this part. But uh, Mr. Big dies um, and you see the process and it's quite triggering. And I got triggered by it. And suddenly found these flashbacks and these moments and I was seeing um, my brother in palliative care and it was quite confronting and I thought it was just me and all of a sudden I was on her stories and she posted and said, just watched it. Did anyone else find that triggering? So again, you never know. I've read books with situations I didn't know were going to happen that were being triggering that have reminded me of my brother and his experience um, for what I saw from my eyes. So you just don't know Um, and that's something that I want to just communicate to you as well. You might find three years in that triggers are still happening and you can't always pick them, but that's okay. Just continue to communicate to the ones around you that you have been triggered, that you might need some space, that you might need a processing day and self-soothe. Do what works for you, whether that's like taking a drive or taking a day out or doing something to honor your loved one or just crying it out. Um, that's something important that I have found and I didn't expect So the next thing that I want to talk about is a little bit of a tricky way to say it. So I've actually got something that I want to read for you. um, And it's this essay that's really helped me um, by Emily Pearl Kingsley. So the next thing and the common question that I got um, in Griefline and the reason that I'm doing this podcast is because it's really hard to think that you will be okay when someone passes away. When you're in that tunnel, when you feel like it's been forever and there's not a single light, you don't even know where to begin, your relationships have changed, nothing feels the same, work isn't as meaningful. There are so many changes that happen with grief because you have changed. Your perspective has changed. The way you view things has changed. Um, And as hard as this sounds, um, something that I have learned in three years in is that I am okay. Um, I am okay. Okay looks different to what I expected. Uh, My version of okay is not what I thought it was going to be. I didn't think I'd be okay, but I am okay. Um, And as hard as this is for me to say to you, because I think I would have lost my shit if someone said this to me at the beginning, but some people have wanted to know this. People I was surprised at Griefline wanted to call and saying, will I be okay? Um, You will. It will look different to what you expected. 
Um, okay, we'll look a little harder. It'll look a little different, a lot different really. Um, but in some way, shape or form, I think our loved ones have this way of carrying us as they continue on in wherever they're, they're going and that's, that's my belief um, that I hold. But I am okay um, and you can be too. And this is something that I want to um, – a better way for me to say it a better way is I wanted to share this part, this this essay with you called Welcome to Holland. So this lady actually wrote this essay um, and it's really short. So this is not going to be like a 40-minute chat. Um, I just want to go through it because I want to really make it clear what I mean when I say be okay. And when I read this, I was like, this is it. This is what I mean. So Welcome to Holland by Emily Pell Kingsley. She says, I'm often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability to try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it, to imagine how it would feel. It's like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and make your wonderful plans. The Colosseum, the Michelangelo David, the gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands. The stewardess comes in and says, welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean, Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy all my life. I have dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. They landed in Holland and there you must stay. The important thing is that they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of famine and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks and you must learn a whole new language and you will meet a whole new group of people you would have never met. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while, you catch your breath and you look around And you begin to notice that Holland has windmills and Holland has tulips. Holland even has remembrance. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy. And they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever, ever go away. Because the loss of that dream is a very, very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very loving things about Holland. So the Holland essay is one of my favorites and something that I share with any person that's going through any type of grieving process, whether it's grieving a person, whether it's grieving expectations, which I think goes hand in hand with grieving someone um, and I know that this, uh, this essay is about having a child with a disability, but I think the wider message that I felt I got from this essay was the loss of expectations. And that's something that definitely will always be for me, something I carry even three years in. Um, and it kind of reflects the challenges in the milestones really, but it's about, mourning the expectations that we had, um, but also understanding that our version of okay looks different 
um, because of the morning, because of the experiences we've had. And I think for me, the way I interpreted the last part when she talks about, you know, you'll feel sort of, you'll feel it when people talk about Italy, but you start to notice the beautiful things about Holland. And I think for me, it's like, I will always mourn um, my version of Italy, which was growing up with my brother and seeing him experience so much. Um, I'll never get to that place. I'll never get to see the things that other siblings get to see, um, which to me is my Italy. Um, That's me hearing people talk about their nieces and their nephews. um, And obviously I have a beautiful niece um, from my husband's side, but understanding that, you know, being an auntie to my brother's parent, uh, brother's children, seeing him be a parent, um, those are the Italy parts that I don't get to see. Um, and so I'm in Holland, right? I'm in this other version of okay in my life that I didn't think um, I would be in, but I also understand and can appreciate three years in. And again, this is a personal choice. Take what resonates, leave what doesn't because everybody's grief journey is different. And again, I'm only reflecting on mine. Um, So please, again, I really just want to emphasize that because grief is such a personal process and not something that everybody, like everybody experiences it differently. And I could only talk from my mindset, my experiences, my choices. Um, But something that I really felt like I had learned was that my Holland, my life um, was a lot richer because of the grief that I had experienced, I appreciate things more. I push myself out of my comfort zone more because I have seen the regrets that my brother had. I've seen what happens when you get to, or not necessarily you, but I've got an idea of what happens when we get to the end of our lives. I've seen someone, one of the closest people in my life, get to the end of their life. So imagining someone or myself not being here tomorrow is a possibility, not something that's far from my mind. And that's my version of Holland. And because I hold that so close and because I've experienced that, I feel as though, yeah, life is richer and more meaningful in ways that I didn't anticipate, which again is only for me possible because of the grief. Um, And that's something that I just want to share because it's a catch-22. Holland looks different. That's a different version of okay. Um, and my version of okay does not mean that I don't have grief, that I don't have down days, that I don't struggle. And as I've, I've gone throughout this episode, I will always have challenges. Um, and I've learned to accept that being okay doesn't mean that you're not grieving. So that's something that I want to add to because being okay doesn't mean that, and I think being okay, it's your version of okay. You choose what your okay looks like in this circumstance because no one else can do it for you. And we don't get any control over the circumstances of how we lose people and when we lose them. So for me, my Holland is really sad, but also really bright. And that's the way I explain it because I'm so sad for the fact that my brother's not here and there's loneliness with that. And there's so many aspects of grief to that. But then I appreciate the people around me more. I enjoy the moments. I understand the importance of following the things that I love to do. I understand the uncertainty and the impermanence of life, the fact that we are not going to be here forever. And I am, I carry that every day with me because of the grief. And that drives me. That is why I sit here and I talk to you and I bust your balls a little bit. Let's be honest. I drain it a little bit. 
about choosing who you want to be and being that person, pursuing the life that you want to pursue, pursuing the passions, the dreams, the hobbies, making the decisions to empower ourselves and choose a life that we love because I've seen what happens to someone at the end. And so that's my version of okay and that's my Holland. And I understand that my life before grief and before learning this was different. I didn't appreciate things as much. I wasn't in the moment as much. I tended to really um, value different things. I wasn't as content as, as I am now in certain ways, purely because I've learned to slow down and appreciate and and push myself in ways that I wouldn't have otherwise. So that's kind of really what I wanted to explain to you when we talk about Holland and what it looks like. Um, and again, my version, not your version, your version looks like whatever you, however your version sits with you. Um, but that's something that I wanted to share as well, because that's just, again, something that I think a lot of people can relate to. We're all in our own version of Holland, right? We're all in our own version of what we thought life would look like. And the fact of the matter is when life doesn't turn out that way, we have to adjust and look at the things that Holland has, that Holland has given us. And for me, grief has given me perspective. Um, I made a choice and something that I heard, um, in a speech that I was listening to by Caroline Mice, I think that's how you say her last name, but it's spelled M-Y-S-S. And she said, are you going to carry on your wisdom or are you going to carry on your woes? And for me, in my grief, I feel it's really important for me to carry on my brother's, the things that I've learned in my brother's suffering and not let that go in vain for me a choice that I have made, not a choice that I think anyone else should make. It's only my choice. And I just want to continuously emphasize that because, you know, I don't want anyone to listen to this episode and feel like their grief has to look like mine and their experience has to look like mine um, to each their own. Take what resonates, leave what doesn't. But I just wanted to talk about it because I feel like Grief is something that isn't spoken about enough. Um, And I really, like I said at the beginning of this video, I needed to hear some version of okay, someone's version of okay at the beginning because it was so dark. And like I use that metaphor, I was in the tunnel and I couldn't see the light and I didn't have perspective, the perspective I have now. And I didn't think I'd ever get there. And that's an important part of the journey for me that I wanted to share for the people that are looking for some form of hope or understanding, um, and again, it's your journey. It might take 10 years. It might take five. It might take, you might, again, everybody's journey is different. So I hope this episode has helped. Um, it's been challenging to record, I'll be honest, um, but I'm really glad that I recorded it because I do feel as though this is such an important topic, especially with grief and what it looks like three years in, um, and how it's shaped or can shape lives, change lives, but at least how it's shaped mine and the perspective that it's that it's uh, the perspective it's given me. So I hope that you have enjoyed or resonated with part of this episode, and and you know enjoy in the sense, find it comforting, uh, find it helpful for your own journey. And please share this with people if you resonate with it and you think it's appropriate. Share it with someone that you know that's grieving. Only because I I say that, and that's not something I usually say at the end of an episode. Uh, but this is a really um, close to heart one for me, and a purpose and mission that I find really important to reach out to other people who are struggling in grief 
or people that just want a different perspective on grief um, or someone else's perspective. So I hope that helps. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate it. Um, And I will catch you in the next episode. Thank you for listening.